Open your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 18. We're continuing in our series titled First Followers, where we've been learning from first followers of Jesus as we've studied the book of Acts. Some questions for us this morning. Are you physically, emotionally, or spiritually exhausted? If so, where will you find the strength to stay, to endure, to continue speaking about Jesus and living for Jesus when loneliness and discouragement and weariness is your present experience? Acts 18 is the story of finding strength to stay. I mean, right there in the midst of the craze, right there in the midst of the loneliness and the discouragement and the weariness. And so let's explore it together. Acts 18, beginning in verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were themselves, uh, they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household and many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names uh, in your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. We'll stop there. Three things I pray we see here this morning in our text. Number one, friends to run with. Number two, Jesus to fall on. And number three, others to join in. First, friends to run with. Admittedly, there's a lot of movement in this chapter. I, I didn't even read the full chapter. We'll get to the rest later. There are a lot of names and places, even large periods of time that are summed up in just a few sentences. And if we're not careful, this chapter can begin to feel like just an extensive travel log. We are following the Apostle Paul on his travels, but this is his second missionary journey. He's moved on from the city of Athens, and now he is in the thriving port city of Corinth. 
This is definitely a strategic city for the message of Jesus. This is the third largest city of the Roman Empire at that time. It was a city of trade, a city of wealth and power. It was a melting pot of people and ideas and beliefs. And it was known for its immorality. Resting on top of a mountain 1,900 feet above the city was the temple to Aphrodite. This is the Greek goddess of love, passion, procreation, sex. The temple had over 1,000 prostitutes. So the word Corinthian became a euphemism in ancient times for an immoral person. Or a Corinthian girl was really known as a prostitute. That's where Paul is. And it says he was alone. Paul was alone. Now by this time in his journey, if you remember, he has been severely persecuted. He's been imprisoned. He's been mocked and beaten. He's been violently thrown out of cities three times. He's got this heavy heart for the opposition and persecution that continues within some cities that he was thrown out of. I think of the Thessalonians. He's got a heavy heart for the Athenians. There wasn't this huge response to the gospel. So there's this heaviness that he's feeling. He had seen miracles for sure. He had seen many people place their faith in Jesus. But I believe there's good reason to conclude that as Paul arrives in the city of Corinth, he's tired, he's discouraged, and he's feeling alone. We get clues of that even in his letter to the Corinthians. You ever been there? You ever felt just completely alone? You could be in a room this size with many people, even some friends, and you think, yeah, they don't get it. They don't get me. And you feel alone. Maybe you are are sitting here and you feel exhausted, spiritually exhausted, just wiped out, emotionally spent. Maybe you want to trust God for something. You're believing him for something in your life. And you know he's met you time and time again. He has a faithful track record in your life. You would say that, but you're still tired. Or maybe you've been hurt in the past. You've experienced pain and rejection in the past, and you're afraid of what's next. You're afraid of the future. You don't want any more pain. You don't want any more rejection. Or maybe it feels like what you're doing isn't making an impact at all. You're giving yourself to something. Maybe you would say, I'm giving myself to the work of the Lord, and it's not producing anything. Or maybe just in life in general, you feel like, man, what what is this about? It feels purposeless, like you're not making an impact. Maybe you've been hoping for something, praying for something that isn't happening. You see no movement, you see no change, and it's really discouraged you. It could be a rebellious child, where your heart is this crazy mix of brokenness and anger, a crazy mix of faith and fear. It could be a particular sin that you've been wrestling with, and you've given in yet again to this sin. You wonder if there's any fight left in you. It could be a friendship that's gone bad, and now it's easier to avoid that person. It's easier to walk away, to write them off, but you know the love of Jesus calls you to something else. I don't know if you can identify with any of these. I can identify with all of these. I think we move in and out of this stuff. It's part of just life, life in a broken world. God brings specific encouragement to the Apostle Paul at a time that he desperately needed it, where he was alone in this city. So in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the frustration, in the midst of the loneliness, in the midst of the exhaustion, what does God provide? Well, God gives Paul some friends to run with. Now, we can underestimate the power of friendship. 
What happened? Paul met a couple named Aquila and Priscilla, and they were of the same trade as Paul. Now, Paul is a, 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 he comes from the line of the Pharisees. He's a rabbi. He is a, a, a teacher of God's word, but he is a tent maker by trade, most likely with leather and uh, working to make tents and repair tents. And he meets Aquila and Priscilla in the city of Corinth, this couple. Now, this couple had been booted out of Rome by the emperor Claudius. And there's record of this. In AD 49, Emperor Claudius booted all the the Jews out of Rome. And there's debate as to what his motive was. Uh, There were ethnic tensions there. There could have been a mixture of racism and definitely some suspicion. Um, But here's the deal. God sovereignly brought Aquila and Priscilla to the same city where Paul was. And they met each other. And it brought real encouragement to Paul. Who has God brought into your life, sovereignly brought into your life through a series of events to encourage you in your faith, to challenge you, to pray for you? Don't underestimate the power of a friend who sits across the table from you and maybe, can't, uh, maybe doesn't have an answer to all your, your struggles and all your, your, your feelings and, and what you're facing, but they're there, they're present. Part of the way God cares for us, church, is through friendships. And so Aquila and Priscilla, they become lifelong friends of Paul's. Yeah, they're business partners. And that's what we see here at first. But later on, we're going to see that they share a passion for the Lord Jesus, a desire to make him known. That they will leave Corinth with Paul and eventually end up in Ephesus. That they'll encourage leaders within the church. That they eventually will host a church in their home. We see them mentioned in a few of Paul's letters. And then in verse 5, what happens? Finally, his friends Silas and Timothy arrive from Macedonia. Macedonia in this region was the city of Philippi, uh, the Philippians. And Paul had already been there and ministered and seen a church born in this city. And the Philippians share in Paul's ministry by giving a gift, a financial gift, so that Paul can be freed up from tent making to serve and and preach the gospel. And we learn that in the letter uh, to the Philippians, that he's thanking them for their generosity, that they they gave generously. And, and, And so it says here in Acts 18 that Paul was able to occupy himself with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. This long-awaited-for rescuer, the Messiah that you've been waiting for is Jesus, this Jesus that we've been proclaiming. And the Jews of Corinth, well, they're opposed to this. They reviled him. They hated him. They hated this message. And what does Paul do? It says, he shook out his garments in protest, and he said, your blood be on your own head. In other words, you're responsible for your judgment He's leaning on the prophet Ezekiel. You can look at it, Ezekiel 33, where in Ezekiel 33, the prophet is is, is giving this imagery of a watchman standing on the tower, looking out, and he sees this invasive army coming, and he he sounds the trumpet. And what the prophet says is that, well, if, if, if the people of the city don't respond to the warning, then their blood be on their own head. And so this is Paul's message to those Jews who, who are pushing back against uh, what he's saying. They're hating what he's saying. This is a difficult message. This isn't an easy message for Paul. It's a discouraging message to not, to not actually have the reception that you're hoping and praying for. You think this was easy? No way. And so Paul does something. He moves next door. He moves next door to the house of this man named uh, Titius Justice. 
right next door to the synagogue, and this is when things begin to take off in the city of Corinth. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, who I'm sure at one time was really pushing against Paul's message, he comes to faith in Jesus. His whole household is baptized. This is a respected man. He was the ruler of the synagogue. And then it says many Corinthians believed and were baptized. All of a sudden, this revival starts happening in this city. So there's this growing church that met next door to the synagogue that hated Paul and his message. There's a growing church that's really learning to shake off the cultural influence of living in a city like Corinth with this temple under the the shadow of this, this temple to Aphrodite. They're learning to shake off those things and they're learning the way of Jesus. This was fruitful ministry for Paul, but it was difficult ministry. If you read the letter to the Corinthians, you'll understand this was difficult ministry. And so it makes sense for Paul to be discouraged, for him to be down. It makes sense for him to maybe think in his, in his mind, okay, opposition is, is, is going to push me out of this city too eventually. So Paul was given friends by the grace of God to run with, but also Paul was given Jesus to fall on. Look with me again in verse nine. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, in a dream, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Okay, so because of the unusual nature of this dream, this vision, I think it's clear once again that Paul needed a special measure of encouragement. And that's okay. He's human. I need a special measure of encouragement sometimes. Life is difficult. Life feels heavy sometimes. I know you can relate. Was he tempted to bow out of Corinth? He might have been. We don't know all the details. But Jesus brings Paul a special measure of encouragement. He's saying, don't be afraid. Hold on. Stay where you are. Keep speaking. Don't be quiet. I'm with you. I got you. You're not alone. No one is going to harm you. No one's going to attack you. I know it feels like they're going to attack you. I know that's been the pattern and that you've been booted out of cities before this one, but you're not going to be attacked I know it's a hot mess here. I know it feels like things are about to boil over, but stay, endure. I am not done yet. I am at work, and I've invited you in on my work. I have many in this city who belong to me. That's what he's saying. Jesus knew Paul's temptations and fears, and he met him right there in the midst of them. That's good. Jesus reminds Paul of a very important truth that we need to remember, church. It's found right in the middle of the vision. What's it say? Right in the middle. Jesus says, I am with you. You, Paul, you are not alone. So, So listen to me. You might need to hear this yourself. You are not alone. Jesus is with you. The presence of God has been a strength to his people, I mean, from day one. Knowing that God is present, it changes everything. There's a, a, a passage in Isaiah chapter 41, I want you to hear it, where, where Yahweh, where God is saying through the prophet Isaiah, in verse 10, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. 
I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Do you hear God's heart? Do you hear what he's choosing to say? I'm with you. I pray, church, that we find comfort in the promise of Jesus' presence. It's been my prayer for us. My prayer is that we would find comfort in the promise of Jesus' presence. My prayer has been that we would find freedom, freedom from the paralyzing grip of discouragement in the promise of Jesus' protection and, and strength to stay right where we are when it's difficult and when it's heavy, strength to stay in the, in the promise of Jesus' power. So we have the promise of his, of his presence, the promise of his, of his protection, the promise of his power. Oh, this is, this is important. This is something to celebrate. This is something to treasure and to hold on to. This is something to not shift away from and move away from. If we do, it's not going to go well for us. And this is what happens, I think, at least it does in my life. Imagine, if you would, these promises as this blazing fire. We could say it's like a, a fire at a campsite on a cold winter night. And here we are. We're sleeping near the fire, and we're warm, and we're cozy, and it feels, it feels good. And we begin to move away. What if we choose to sleep really far away from the fire, and we're shivering, and we're cold, and we're, we're complaining about how cold we are? Now, far away, the fire feels. But we've moved away. We've allowed ourselves to move away from the fire. And what's the answer? It's to draw near to the fire again. It's go back to the fire. It's warm yourself by the flames. If we stay out here, we're going to start just wondering, why, why is that fire so cold? Why? God doesn't care about me. God, he's indifferent. He's so cold. He's, just, he's numb to what I'm going through. And that's just not true. And then we are susceptible then to the wolves in the wilderness that are there as well. There's so much that we become vulnerable to if we remain away from the fire. Again, what is the fire? The promises of God, ultimately, that are met in Jesus. And so what do we, we know of God through Christ? What has he spoken through the gospel, the good news of his rescue, of his redemption, of, his, of, of the reality of sins forgiven? It speaks of his love and his grace and his mercy and his presence and the hope that we have in him. And that's where I need to be. That's, I need to be close to that. Now, how do I get close to that when I feel very far from that? Well, you're doing it today. You're gathering. Whether you felt like gathering or not, you gathered. And that's part of drawing near. But, but also, what, what do we do? We celebrate communion. And we do this frequently for a reason, because it puts the, the truth of the cross front and center, the promises that have been answered in Christ front and center that we need to hear again. Also, we're singing songs of praise this morning. It does the same thing. It, it reminds us of the truth of God's character and promises that, are our, that, that, that we can hold on to. There's so many different things, but Bible reading and prayer, simply walking around your block and saying, God, God, help me, help me to, to hold on to these truths. I know you're near. I don't, I don't feel you, but, but Lord, I thank you for the promise of your presence, the promise of your spirit, just talking to him, remembering and celebrating what is true, regardless of how you feel. And so we're going to warm ourselves by the flames of these promises. The vision that Paul receives that evening had specific promises about his safety in the city of Corinth. But there are general promises that are true for every follower of Jesus. And these promises are put front and center for us. I'm going to give you an example. 
in, uh, when speaking about the fact that Jesus is, is with us, right? Uh, what did Jesus say in Matthew 28, 19, and 20? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and, and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And, and know this, I will be with you to the end of the age. There's this promise of Jesus' presence with us. Aren't you thankful for that? I'm thankful for that. Paul writes to the Philippians, the Lord is near to comfort them. Don't forget his nearness, his presence. It changes everything. Then, of course, we see in other parts of Scripture uh, just the reality of these promises that are found in Christ. But think about his provision where Jesus uh, taught in Matthew 6. Don't worry. Look to the birds. Look to the lilies. Don't worry. Your Father will provide your every need. Or what about the the power of God given to us to live out our faith found in Acts chapter 2 where the Spirit of God, because of Christ's death and resurrection, the Spirit of God is now present with us. This new covenant where the law is written on our hearts and we've been reconciled to God and forgiven our sin by faith in Jesus. And now the Spirit of God is with us and empowers us to live out our lives, to live, to witness. He's present. These are promises we need to hold on to. So when you have no strength to stay, you, you have no strength to endure, when you feel like you got nothing, when you, you get no strength to resist or to speak of Jesus, will you allow these promises to combat the temptation to be silent or to give in or to give up or to check out or to just move on? Will you allow these promises that are even found in this vision given to Paul, will you allow these promises to combat the temptation to check out? I don't want you to check out. I don't want you to fizzle out. I want you to remain. I want you to live faithfully and fully where God has called you. I want that. I want that for myself. I want that for you. Here's what happened. After Paul received this vision, he stayed. He stayed in Corinth. This was just the beginning of what Jesus was doing in this city. Things were just getting started. He didn't dismiss Corinth as too far gone. Oh, no way, not with that temple. Oh, these guys are too far gone. No, he found great comfort in the words of Jesus. And he stayed in Corinth longer than any other city beside the city of Ephesus. He stayed 18 months teaching the word of God among them. It's powerful. We, church, we get to stand in the midst of the craze. We get to stand here in our city, and speak of Jesus' love and grace. We get to speak of the reality of his rule and reign. We get to be a part of what Jesus is doing in this city. And let me tell you, things are just getting started. Things are just getting started here. You get to be a part of what Jesus is doing here. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? The Lord has invited you to join him on his mission. That's what, he's been, that's what he's telling Paul in this vision. I have many people in this city. I'm not done yet. I'm at work. Join me on this mission, Paul. Hang with me. Hold on. Don't move on. Don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated by your surroundings either. You've been invited to join Jesus on his mission here in St. Pete, and that includes every sphere of your life, from work to play to your neighborhood, every sphere of your life. It's truly exciting. Okay, so in verses 12 through 17, uh, this story that's included in this, this, this chapter just demonstrates the faithfulness of Jesus to keep his promise through this, this vision. 
What happened? This man named Gallio, who actually, um, we learn a lot about Gallio just in history and, and other writings of history. He's a proconsul of this area, and it specifically, he was proconsul in AD 51 and 52. He was a well-known politician, and he had a brother who was a philosopher who was also well-known. But the Jews bring a complaint before him. Uh, they're upset at what Paul is preaching, and, and they're furious, really. And, and then Paul is getting ready to speak. He doesn't even have a chance to open his mouth, and the case is just thrown out of court. Gallio wants nothing to do with it. I think he's annoyed. Get out of here. And it gave Christians of Corinth legal protection and freedom to worship for the, for the next decade. So they had this freedom. When you feel you're not getting anywhere, when you're discouraged by the response of others, when you feel lonely and tired and opposed, remember that Jesus has said he is with you. Remember that Jesus is at work in your life. He's not finished yet. Remember that Jesus is at work in this city, and he's not finished yet. And finally, we see others that join in. So we, we've got friends to run with, Jesus to fall on. Oh, may we fall on him. And then, and then finally, others to join in. Others to join in. Um, here's what happens in the next few verses. Paul, along with Aquila and Priscilla, set sail for Syria. Paul uh, has his hair cut. He had apparently made a vow. Um, it seems odd to us, I know. It was an expression of devotion and thanksgiving and gratitude rooted in Numbers 6. There was, really, there was nothing wrong with it. it was, uh, there, there, there are some things we do that would seem really odd to Paul, okay? Um, but he was expressing his devotion and thanksgiving to the Lord. And then they're making their way to Ephesus, and Aquila and Priscilla stay in Ephesus. Paul continues on. He went up and greeted the church of Jerusalem, and then makes his way back to his home city of Antioch. And in between verses 22 and 23, I think there's a large gap of time, but eventually in verse 23, Paul is on the move again. He can't stay in Antioch on his third missionary journey, this time going back through the region to strengthen his, the disciples in the, the various churches that were planted. It's beautiful. But then in verses 24 through 28, we're introduced to a man named Apollos, and that's where I want to pick up. Let's read. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished um, to cross to Achaia, to that region of Corinth, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. All right, what's going on here? We're introduced to a man named Apollos. He's a really smart guy. He's eloquent. He's from the, the renowned city of Alexandria. He spoke the scriptures um, with eloquence, and he spoke accurately of Jesus. But something, something was missing. He only knew the baptism of John, John the Baptist. It was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, a baptism of preparation for the coming Messiah, Jesus. And that's what he knew. So as much as he knew, he was proclaiming. 
And Priscilla and Aquila, they, they catch this. They pull him aside. And they tell him the rest of the story. And I just love this. Paul's not there. He didn't stay in Ephesus, but Priscilla and Aquila did. And they hear this teaching. They pull him aside. And I'm sure they talked about the beauty of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus and the gift and power of the Holy Spirit and, and the call now to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and the power of this new covenant relationship we have with the living God empowered by the Spirit. I'm sure that lit a fire in Apollos' heart. But do you know what all of that required? It required Priscilla and Aquila in humility and courage going to a very eloquent, learned man a man who was uh, uh, schooled in rhetoric and, 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 and was, uh, understood the scriptures, but it required them, these tent makers, by trade, going to this man and, and, and explaining to him the way of God more accurately. That required humility and courage on their part. It also required humility and courage on Apollos' part to receive. Who has done this for you? Who has done this for you? who has come alongside you and taught the way of Jesus more accurately because they, they cared. Who have you done this for? Who have you come alongside and mentored? Not because you think you're better than them, but because you're called to make disciples, that we're called to make disciples. And that's not just about conversions, people coming to faith in Jesus, though we pray for that to happen. It's about people growing in their understanding of what it means to follow Jesus and be obedient to Jesus. And so here they were, coming alongside Apollos, investing in him. Paul had invested in them. Remember? In Corinth, they were his first friends. Paul had invested in, uh, in Aquila and Priscilla, who are now investing in Apollos, who then turns around and in, in, in investing in, he's investing in the city of Corinth. He ends up in Achaia, the same region of Corinth. And so the whole chapter is bookended this way. Paul is in Corinth alone, Scratching his head, thinking, how's this going to go? And then it ends with Apollos having been taught by Aquila and Priscilla back in Corinth, proclaiming Christ boldly, publicly. And so the encouragement is this. God is going to raise up others to join in in this mission. We're not alone. We are not alone. Jesus is faithful. He's faithful to raise others up to join in on this mission that we're on together. You have friends to fall on. Or you have friends to run with. You have Jesus to fall on. And you have others that will join in on this mission. That's the encouragement that, that I have received just by reading this text. I pray that's the encouragement that you receive here this morning. Where are you going to find strength to stay, church? To endure. I'm talking to continue speaking of Jesus and living for Jesus when loneliness and discouragement and weariness is your present experience. Jesus has given us friends to run with. He, he's given himself to fall on. He's given others to join in on the mission. Look around. They're here. They're here. Jesus is able to lift you out of that paralyzing grip of discouragement. Jesus is able to comfort you with the promise of his presence and power. You are not alone. That changes everything, doesn't it? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the promise of your presence, the promise of your provision and protection and power. 
We thank you that we are not alone, that you're with us and you go before us in might and in power. We thank you for your faithfulness expressed in this chapter and how kind it is that you remind us that you provide us encouragement through friends, those with this like-minded passion and joy rooted in you, this faith that's growing and bubbling over. Lord, we, we thank you for friends that we can lock arms with that way. We thank you that we can look to you, look to your promises and find grace. And we thank you, Lord, that you are raising others up to join in on this mission and to be places where we can't be and that maybe we won't be long-term, but thank you that you're doing it. This is your work. Thank you that we get to be a part of it. Amen, amen.